Section 6 of The History of Emily Montague, Volume 2, by Francis Moore Brook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 6. Letters 105 to 114. Cast List. Emily Montague, read by Emma Hatton. Arabella Fairmore, read by Grace Buchanan. Edward Rivers, read by Jim Locke. Narrated by Sonia. Letter 105. To Mrs. Temple, Pall Mall. Sillery, March 27, evening. Fitzgerald has been here and has begged my pardon. He declares he had no thought of displeasing me at the governor's, but from my behavior was afraid of importuning me if he addressed me as usual. I thought who would come to first. For my part, if he had stayed away forever, I would not have suffered Papa to invite him to Sillery. It was easy to see his neglect was all pique. It would have been extraordinary indeed if such a woman as Madame Labrosse could have rivaled me. I am something younger, and if either my glass or the men are to be believed, as handsome. Atre nous, there is some little difference. If she was not so very fair, she would be absolutely ugly. And these very fair women, you know, Lucy, are always insipid. She is the taste of no man breathing though eternally making advances to every man, without spirit, fire, understanding, vivacity, or any quality capable of making amends for the mediocrity of her charms. Her insolence in attempting to attach Fitzgerald is intolerable, especially when the whole province knows him to be my lover, there is no expressing to what degree I hate her. The next time we meet, I hope to return her impertinence. On Thursday night at the governor's, I will never forgive Fitzgerald if he takes the least notice of her. Emily has read my letter and says she did not think I had so much of the woman in me insists on my being civil to Madame Labrosse. But if I am, Lucy, these French women are not to be supported. They fancy vanity and assurance are to make up for the want of every other virtue, forgetting that delicacy, softness, sensibility, tenderness are attractions to which they are strangers, some of them here are, however, tolerably handsome and have a degree of liveliness which makes them not quite insupportable. You will call all this spite, as Emily does, so I will say no more. Only that, in order to show her how very easy it is to be civil to a rival, I wish for the pleasure of seeing another French lady that I could mention at Quebec. Good night, my dear. Tell Temple 
I am everything but in love with him. Your faithful A. Fairmore. I will, however, own. I encouraged Fitzgerald by a kind look. I was so pleased at his return that I could not keep up the farce of disdain I had projected. In love affairs, I am afraid. We are all fools alike. Letter 106 To Miss Farmer, Saturday noon. Come to my dressing room, my dear. I have a thousand things to say to you. I want to talk of rivers, to tell you all the weaknesses of my soul. No, my dear, I cannot love him more. A passion like mine will not admit addition. From the first moment I saw him, my whole soul was his. I knew not that I was dear to him. But true, genuine love is self-existent, and does not depend on being beloved. I should have loved him, even had he been attached to another. This declaration has made me the happiest of my sex, but it has not increased. It could not increase. My tenderness, with what softness, what diffidence, what respect, what delicacy, was this declaration made. My dear friend, he is a god, and my ardent affection for him is fully justified. I love him. No words can speak how much I love him. My passion for him is the first and shall be the last of my life. My bosom never heaved a sigh but for my rivers. Will you pardon the folly of a heart which till now was ashamed to its own feelings, and of which you are even now the only confidant? I find all the world so insipid, nothing amuses me one moment. In short, I have no pleasure but in rivers' conversation, nor do I count the hours of his absence in my existence. I know all this will be called folly, but it is a folly which makes all the happiness of my life. You love, my dear Belle, and therefore will pardon the weakness of your Emily. Letter 107 To Miss Montague Saturday Yes, my dear, I love. At least, I think so. But thanks to my stars, not in the manner you do. I prefer Fitzgerald to all the rest of his sex, but I count the hours of his absence in my existence, and contrive sometimes to pass them pleasantly enough if any other agreeable man is in the way. In short, I relish flattery and attention from others, though I infinitely prefer them from him. I certainly love him, for I was jealous of Madame Labrosse. But in general, I am not alarmed when I see him flirt a little with others. Perhaps my vanity was as much wounded as my love with regard to Madame Labrosse. I find love is quite a different plant in different soils. It is an exotic and grows faintly with us couquets. But in its native climate, with you people of sensibility and sentiment. Adieu, I will attend you in a quarter of an hour. Yours, A. Fairmore. Letter 108 To Miss Fermer Not alarmed, my dear, to his attention to others? Believe me, you know nothing of love. I think every woman who beholds my rivers as a rival... I imagine I see in every female countenance a passion tender and lively as my own. I turn pale, my heart dies within me. 
If I observe his eyes a moment fixed on any other woman, I tremble at the possibility of his changing. I cannot support the idea that the time may come when I may be less dear to my rivers than at present. Do you believe it possible, my dearest Belle, for any heart, not prepossessed, to be insensible one moment to my rivers? He is formed to charm the soul of a woman, his delicacy, his sensibility, the mind that speaks through those eloquent eyes, the thousand graces of his air, the sound of his voice. My dear, I never heard him speak without feeling a softness of which it is impossible to convey an idea. But I am wrong to encourage a tenderness which is already too great. I will think less of him. I will not talk of him. Do not speak of him to me, my dear Belle. Talk to me of Fritz Gerald. There is no danger of your passion becoming too violent. I wish you loved more tenderly, my dearest. You would then be more indulgent to my weakness. I am ashamed of owning it even to you. Ashamed, did I say? No, I rather glory in loving the most amiable, the most angelic of mankind. Speak of him to me forever. I abhor all conversation of which he is not the subject. I am interrupted. Adieu, your faithful Emily. My dearest, I tremble. He is at the door. How shall I meet him without betraying all weaknesses of my heart? Come to me this moment. I will not go down without you. Your father is to come fetch me. Follow me. I entreat. I cannot see him alone. My heart is too much softened at this moment. He must not know to what excess he is beloved. Letter 109 To Mrs. Temple, Paul Mall, Quebec, March 28th. I met present, my dear Lucy, extremely embarrassed. Madame de Roche is at Quebec. It is impossible for me not to be more than polite to her. Yet my Emily has all my heart and demands all my attention. There is but one way of seeing them both as often as I wish. Tis to bring them as often as possible together. I wish extremely that Emily would visit her, but tis a point of the utmost delicacy to manage. Will it not, on reflection, be cruel to Madame de Roche? I know her generosity of mind, but I also know the weakness of the human heart. Can she see with pleasure a beloved rival? My Lucy, I never so much wanted your advice. I will consult Belle Firmer, who knows every thought of my Emily's heart. Eleven o'clock. I have visited Madame de Roche at her relations. She received me with a pleasure which was too visible not to be observed by all present. She blushed, her voice faltered when she addressed me. Her eyes had a softness which seemed to reproach my insensibility. I was shocked at the idea of having inspired her with a tenderness not in my power to return. I was afraid of increasing that tenderness. I scarce dared to meet her looks. I felt a criminal in the presence of this amiable woman. For both our sakes I must see her seldom, yet what an appearance will my neglect have after the attention she has showed me, and the friendship she has expressed for me to all the world. I know not what to determine. I am going to Soleri. Adieu till my return. Eight o'clock. I have entreated Emily to admit Madame de Roche among the number of her friends, and have asked her to visit her to-morrow morning. She changed color at my request, but promised to go. I almost repent of what I have done. I am to attend Emily and Belfermer to Madame de Roche in the morning. I am afraid I shall introduce them with a very bad grace. Adieu, your affectionate Ed Rivers. Letter 110 
to Miss Firmer, Sunday morning. Could you have believed he would have expected such a proof of my desire to oblige him? But what can he ask that his Emily will refuse? I will see this friend of his, this Madame Desroches. I will even love her, if it is in woman to be so disinterested. She loves him. He sees her. They say she is amiable. I could have wished her visit to Quebec had been delayed. But he comes. He looks up. His eyes seem to thank me for this excess of complacence. What is there I would not do to give him pleasure? Six o'clock. Do you think her so very pleasing, my dear Belle? She has fine eyes, but have they not more fire than softness? There was a vivacity in her manner which hurt me extremely. Could she have behaved with such unconcern, had she loved as I do? Do you think it possible, Belle, for a Frenchwoman to love? Is not vanity the ruling passion of their hearts? May not Rivers be deceived in supposing her so much attached to him? Was there not some degree of affectation in her particular attention to me? I cannot help thinking her artful. Perhaps I am prejudiced. She may be amiable, but I will own she does not please me. Rivers begged me to have a friendship for her. I am afraid this is more than is in my power. Friendship, like love, is the child of sympathy, not of constraint. Adieu, yours, Emily Montague. Letter 111 To Miss Montague, Monday. The enclosed, my dear, is as much to you as to me, perhaps more. I pardon the lady for thinking you the handsomest. Is not this the strongest proof I could give of my friendship? Perhaps I should have been piqued, however, had the preference been given by a man. But I can, with great tranquility, allow you to be the women's beauty. Dictate an answer to your little bell who waits your commands at her bureau. Adieu. To Miss Firmer, as Soleri, Monday, you and your lovely friend oblige me beyond words, my dear Belle, by your visit of yesterday. Madame de Roches is charmed with you both. You will not be displeased when I tell you she gives Emily the preference. She says she is beautiful as an angel, that she should think the man insensible who could see her without love, that she is touchant, to use her own word, beyond anything she ever beheld. She, however, does justice to your charms, though Emily's seem to affect her most. She even allows you to be perhaps more the taste of men in general. She intends paying her respects to you and Emily this afternoon, and has sent to desire me to conduct her. As it is so far, I would wish to find you at home. Yours, Ed Rivers. Letter 112 To Miss Firmer Always, Madame Desroches. But let her come. Indeed, my dear, she is artful. She gains upon him by this appearance of generosity. I cannot return it. I do not love her, yet I will receive her with politeness. He is to drive her, too. But tis no matter. If the tenderest affection can secure his heart, I have nothing to fear. Loving him as I do, it is impossible not to be apprehensive. Indeed, my dear, he knows not how I love him. Adieu. Your Emily. Letter 113 To Miss Firmer, Monday evening. Surely I am the weakest of my sex. I am ashamed to tell you all my feelings. I cannot conquer my dislike to Madame Desroches. She said a thousand obliging things to me. She praised my rivers. I made her no answer. 
I even felt tears ready to start. What must she think of me? There is a meanness in my jealousy of her, which I cannot forgive myself. I cannot account for her attention to me. It is not natural. She behaved to me not only with politeness, but with the appearance of affection. She seems to feel and pity my confusion. She is either the most artful or the most noble of women. Adieu, your Emily. Letter 114 To Mrs. Temple, Pall Mall. Sillery, March 29 We are going to dine at a farmhouse in the country, where we are to meet other company and have a ball. The snow begins a little to soften from the warmth of the sun, which is greater than in England in May. Our winter parties are almost at an end. My father drives Madame de Roche, who is of our party, and your brother, Emily. I hope the little fool will be easy now, Lucy. She is very humble to be jealous of one, who, though really very pleasing, is neither so young nor so handsome as herself, and who professes to wish only for Rivers's friendship. But I have no right to say a word on this subject, after having been so extremely hurt at Fitzgerald's attention to such a woman as Madame La Brosse, an attention, too, which was so plainly meant to pique me. We are all, I am afraid, a little absurd in these affairs, and therefore ought to have some degree of indulgence for others. Emily and I, however, differ in our ideas of love. It is the business of her life, the amusement of mine. Tis the food of her hours, the seasoning of mine. Or, in other words, she loves like a foolish woman, I like a sensible man. For men, you know, compared to women, love in about the proportion of one to twenty. Tis a mighty wrong thing, after all, Lucy, that parents will educate creatures so differently who are to live with and for each other. Every possible means is used, even from infancy, to soften the minds of women and to harden those of men. The contrary endeavor might be of use, for the men creatures are unfeeling enough by nature, and we are born too tremblingly alive to love and, indeed, to every soft affection. Your brother is almost the only one of his sex I know who has the tenderness of woman with the spirit and firmness of man. A circumstance which strikes every woman who converses with him and which contributes to make him the favorite he is amongst us. Foolish women who cannot distinguish characters may possibly give the preference to a coxcomb, but I will venture to say, no woman of sense was ever much acquainted with Colonel Rivers without feeling for him an affection of some kind or other. Apropos to women, the estimable part of us are divided into two classes only, the tender and the lively. 
The former, at the head of which I place Emily, are infinitely more capable of happiness. But to counterbalance this advantage, they are also capable of misery in the same degree. We of the other class, who feel less keenly, are perhaps upon the whole as happy, at least I would fain think so. For example, if Emily and I marry our present lovers, she will certainly be more exquisitely happy than I shall. But if they should change their minds, or any accident prevent our coming together, I am inclined to fancy my situation would be much the most agreeable. I should pout a month, and then look about for another lover whilst the tender Emily would sit like patience on a monument and pine herself into a consumption. Adieu, they wait for me. Yours a fermor. Tuesday, midnight. We have had a very agreeable day, Lucy. A pretty enough kind of a ball, and everybody in good humor. I danced with Fitzgerald, whom I never knew so agreeable. Happy love is gay, I find. Emily is all sprightliness. Your brother's eyes have never left her one moment, and her blushes seemed to show her sense of the distinction. I never knew her look so handsome as this day. Do you know I felt for Madame de Roche? Emily was excessively complacent to her. She returned her civility, but I could perceive a kind of constraint in her manner, very different from the ease of her behavior when we saw her before. She felt the attention of Rivers to Emily very strongly. In short, the ladies seemed to have changed characters for the day. We supped with your brother on our return, and from his windows, which look on the River St. Charles, had the pleasure of observing one of the most beautiful objects imaginable, which I never remember to have seen before this evening. You are to observe. The winter method of fishing here is to break openings like small fish ponds on the ice, to which the fish, coming for air, are taken in prodigious quantities on the surface. To shelter themselves from the excessive cold of the night, the fishermen build small houses of ice on the river, which are arranged in a semicircular form and extend near a quarter of a mile, and which, from the blazing fires within, have a brilliant transparency and vivid luster not easy either to imagine or to describe. The starry semicircle looks an immense crescent of diamonds on which the sun darts his meridian rays. Absolutely, Lucy, you see nothing in Europe. You are cultivated. You have the tame beauties of art. But to see nature in her lovely, wild luxuriance, you must visit your brother when he is prince of the Camarascas. Adieu. Your faithful, A. Fermor. 
The variety, as well of grand objects as of amusements, in this country confirms me in an opinion I have always had, that Providence had made the conveniences and inconveniences of life nearly equal everywhere. We have pleasures here, even in winter, peculiar to the climate, which counterbalance the evils we suffer from its rigor. Good night, my dear Lucy. End of section 6